Well, good day to you. I'm David Creech, and welcome back to my presentation of God's amazing plan. In this third lesson, what I've called puzzle piece number three, we're going to talk about the gospel. So, what is the gospel? I mean, you've heard that word before, right? Gospel music, gospel preacher, gospel meeting. Perhaps you've even heard the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, collectively referred to as the Gospels. But what is the Gospel? Well, the word Gospel simply means good news. And in order to fully appreciate the good news, we need to understand that there's some bad news. I mean, there's some really bad news. And we're going to talk some more um, about that bad news in a little while. But in a nutshell, the good news is that a way has been made to avoid the bad news. We also need to understand that the gospel, uh, the good news, is at the very heart of God's amazing plan. And as we alluded to earlier, <clears throat> the Bible tells us that his plan was in place from the very beginning. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 says that it was in place before the foundation of the world. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9 says it was in place before time began. But why is that important? Why is it important for us to understand that God had a plan in place from the very beginning? Well, <clears throat> because we need to realize that we're not just part of some random series of events set in motion by an all-powerful creator many centuries ago who, who simply sat back to watch and, and wait. Just see what would happen like some kind of great cosmic science experiment or something. No, <clears throat> God had a plan. God has been working that plan. And we, well, we are a significant part of that plan. The only variable in his plan is our response to it. We can either accept it or we can reject it. We always have the free will to choose. And it is not part of God's plan to beat the stubborn will of man into submission. But for stubborn men to see their need for God, to hear the gospel, and to respond favorably to it. And we have an urgent command regarding the gospel we sometimes refer to it as the Great Commission. In the words of Jesus himself, in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, he said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, there is a lot of information packed in that short sentence. First of all, we're told simply to go. This is not the great suggestion or the great recommendation. We are commissioned by Christ to do this. We're told where to go. Into all the world. 
That includes wherever we happen to be. We're told what to do when we go. Preach. We're told what to preach when we go. The gospel. And we're told to whom to preach when we go. To everyone. Everyone deserves a chance to hear the gospel and to either accept it or to reject it. Now I'll make three additional very important points about the gospel before moving on. And the first one is that the gospel is God's power to save. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, the apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. You know, earlier we, we talked about how awesome God's power must be by the things he has created. And yet, his power to save mankind is through something as simple as the gospel. Do you realize that this is utter foolishness to most of the world? In 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul said, The message of the cross, that's the gospel. The message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. And just a few verses later, in verse 21, he said, It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached. Again, that's the gospel. To save those who believe. Oh, not that the gospel is foolishness, of course, but that it appears so to most of the world. And Oddly enough, that's the way God wanted it. It's all part of his amazing plan. So the first point was that the gospel is God's power to save. The second point is that there's only one gospel. There's a lot of confusion created by the religious world today. It seems that there are a lot of different people teaching and preaching different Gospels. Gospels that conflict with one another. Gospels that contradict one another. When it comes right down to it, who are we supposed to believe? Well, there are two things we need to keep in mind about all this confusion. And the first one is that God himself is not the source of all this confusion. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33 tells us that God is not the author. That is, he is not the originator of confusion. And if God is not the author of confusion, then who is? Well, Satan is our adversary and our accuser before God. John 8.44 tells us that Satan is a liar and the father of it. And as a father of lies, what better way to keep people from the truth than for Satan to create confusion by spreading lies? And, and they don't have to be big lies either, as we would call them. 
They just have to be enough to divert someone from the truth. Have you ever heard that rat poison is really less than 1% poison? The other 99% is, is harmless material designed to appeal to the rat, to, to make it smell good and to taste good. If it were 100% poison, the rat would never eat it. But it's that small amount, less than 1% of poison, that ultimately kills them. The same is true when it comes to the gospel. Satan knows that with a little bit of error and a lot of patience, he can draw people down the wrong path, the path to their destruction. Now think about it. If the gospel is indeed God's power to save, doesn't it just make sense that Satan would do everything in his power to either distort it or to keep it from being spread in the first place. Now, the second thing we need to keep in mind about all this confusion is the answer to this question. <clears throat> Why would God allow so many people to believe a lie? Why would our all-powerful creator take the time to put together this written document to communicate with us and then allow so many to be led down the wrong path. My first roommate in college was a member of the largest denomination under the heading of Christianity. Something he said to me one time was, two and a half billion people can't be wrong. Why would God allow that? I can tell you, I, I had no answer to that question. In fact, I struggled with that question for a lot of years. It really bothered me. And I ran across this passage. <clears throat> it may help explain that. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, which begins, And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. Now, the first thing that strikes me about that is, is what a pitiful state we're in when Almighty God sends a delusion upon us. But why would he do that in the first place? 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God himself desires that all men be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So again, why would God send a delusion upon anyone? Well, <clears throat> note again how he begins this verse. And for this reason... What reason? The previous verse indicates that he's talking about those that do not have a love for the truth. 
I believe that delusion comes in the form of Satan's lies, and God simply allows those that do not have a love for the truth to believe them. Now think about this. If God can and will send a delusion upon someone, if he will allow those who do not have a love for the truth to believe a lie, then we need to make sure that we have a love for the truth, don't we? How do we show God that we have a love for the truth? We do that by doing what we stated earlier, by diligently studying his word to show ourselves approved to him. So that's it. God doesn't cause all the confusion, but he does allow it to exist in order to separate those that have a love for the truth from those that don't. And do you think all this confusion that we have today is something that's just new to our generation? No. Even in the first century, the Apostle Paul sounded surprised in his letter to the churches of Galatia. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, there in the, in the opening verses of that letter, he said, I marvel that you are turning away so soon to a different gospel. In fact, he was so concerned about this that he warned them just two verses later there in verse 8. He said, even if we, that is the, the apostles, or an angel from heaven were to preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you already, let him be accursed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, that same warning, by the way, is repeated almost word for word in the very next verse. If God says something once, it's important. When God repeats himself, watch out. Jude would say in the third verse of his short letter, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to all the saints. Can we hear what the Holy Spirit is telling us through Jude here? There are not many faiths. There were not many gospels. And it was not partially delivered in the first century and then delivered in installments over the years. I mean, think about it. If the gospel were always changing, how would any of us ever recognize it? No, it was delivered once. It was delivered in its entirety, and it was delivered during Paul's day. So again, three very important points about the gospel. First, the gospel is God's power to save. Second, there's only one gospel. And the last one, the gospel must be obeyed. Now that passage, as you see there on the screen, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. That's a very sobering passage. It says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now we might expect that those who do not know God would be punished with everlasting destruction. But this passage doesn't stop there, does it? It says, and those who do not obey the gospel. This tells me that there will be two kinds of people in hell. Those that do not know God, and of course would not obey the gospel in the first place, and those who do know God, or at least think that they know God, but did not obey the gospel. And obeying the gospel, well, it's not a one-time event, as many people teach today. I can't obey the gospel today and then spend the rest of my life disobeying the gospel and expect to escape that destruction that we just read about. And not just any destruction, but what that passage referred to as an everlasting destruction. Someone once said, and, and rightly so, the gospel not only has facts to be believed and promises to be received, but commands to be obeyed. Well, that concludes our lesson on the gospel and leads us right into puzzle piece number four. Now, I thank you for your kind attention to these all-important matters and look forward to seeing you in the next class.